0: The oldest archaeological proof of dance dates back to 9,000-year-old cave paintings in India. With time, dance became more widespread as depicted by the tomb paintings of the Egyptians circa 3300 BC. Throughout history, dance has served many purposes, be it ceremonial, celebrational, traditional, ritual, occupational, medicinal, and convivial. Today, dance can also be deemed philosophical. Alpha Noe, modern-day philosopher and professor of philosophy at the University of Berkeley, sees dance as an art form and believes art to be a philosophical practice. He believes dance is a perceptual experience and that consciousness itself is a performance. By dancing, one is deliberately or intuitively creating their experience or composition. Thought is perceived as movement with consciousness existing outside of the brain. Conscious choices are made in dance even if choreographed. Neu believes choreography gives opportunity for investigation by putting someone in a situation that they have to unravel, which sometimes involves repetition or practicing enough so that it becomes ingrained. Rudolf von Lamband, a Hungarian dancer that dedicated his life to the teaching, practice, and theory of dance said, the dancer is a human being who consciously strives to weave clear intelligence, deep feeling, and strong desire into a harmoniously balanced yet Interactively moving whole. He too ventured the theory that dance itself is a kind of thought, a unified body thought. In the 1920s, Laban created a language for dance called Labanotation, a notation system for analyzing and recording movement. He determined ways to describe the surrounding space of the human body in motion from which new movement combinations could be discovered. It is a tool that has come to broaden dancers' personal experiences as well as their consciousness of space. In the mid-2000s, French philosopher Jean-Luc Nancy and choreographer Mathilde Monnier collaborated on a project that explored the correlation between dancing and thinking. Contrary to René Descartes' I think, therefore I am, separating mind and matter and thought and mind, Nancy wrote, when I think, I dance, meaning it is a literal description of the activity of thinking. Dance then becomes more of a how than a what. And according to both Nancy and Monnier, Dance requires a non intellectual experiential understanding. Nancy even breaks down the concept of dance instruction as an education that goes outside oneself, exhibiting a gesturing that cannot be separated from the content of teaching. This gesturing, or way the teacher holds themselves and moves, creates a curiosity for learning all by itself, which he calls dancerly transmission. Nancy believes this to be energy. And the passage of this energy is not imitation, but rather occupying space in a particular way of thinking or holding the body. Dance essentially interweaves a whole series of spatial occupations, which are unique in providing their own representations. Noé, Laban, and Nancy all arrived at the same conclusion that dance is thought, and that it allows for the experience of consciousness or energy perceived outside of us. In order to experience this consciousness, one one must be fully present. Although in dance, there is an anticipation of the next steps, the focus remains in the present. And when one is fully present, one can fully connect to oneself, who they came into this world being, and they can connect to others and the world around them, while alleviating any stress, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, discomfort, and dis-ease in the process. Today, I have the pleasure of having retired Army colonel, nurse practitioner, and founder of Battlefield to Ballroom, Debbie Simpson, on my show. She will share her personal journey, her battle with combat PTSD, and her discovery of yet another purpose of dance. Plus, later on the show, we will open up the phone lines so that if you or a loved one are struggling with PTSD and have a question for Debbie, you can call 1-888-298-KKNW or 425-373-5527. So stick around after this quick break.
1: Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial for just $120. Designed for your rugged skin, a deep cleansing clinical facial is like a 1-2-3 punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, SkinAndMind.com. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150KKNW.com.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe and share my YouTube channel and podcast on Podcast One, Love from the Hip, and that's H-Y-P. Today, I have the pleasure of having retired Army colonel nurse practitioner, and founder of Battlefield to Ballroom, Debbie Simpson, on my show.
2: Thank, thank you.
0: you s- <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being here today.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really um, appreciate this opportunity to share my um, project and my um, my uh, program.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for your service.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. It was my pleasure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, how long were you in the military?
2: I was in the military in the Army, um, National Guard, and Reserves, and active duty for 30 years. And um, at 30 years, they either—if you come to the 30 hour mark, either you get kicked out or you're 60 years old. So you have to move on to your, you know, onto other things. And I retired in uh, December of 2014.
0: Okay, and it was in the Army, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, do you believe that it's harder for women? And men in the military?
2: I believe that um, women are held to a different standard than men. And I think it just goes way back when we were barbarians, that the man is the one that does the fighting and he protects the woman. And the woman is to stay back and, you know, take care of the children and, you know, make the food. So I think that it's just like inherently in the DNA. So women are held to a different standard to make sure that they can you know, have the backs of their comrades.
0: Right, okay. And then as far as, you're, you also were working in medical, correct?
2: Right. And, and in the medical field, um, the you know, you have the fi- fighters, which are infantry and vast, you know, group of people that actually do the fighting. In the medical, it's like they figure we're a little bit soft, but really in the military you're a soldier first, and then you go on to whatever your specialty area is, if it's medical, me- you know, military intelligence, Whatever it may be.
0: Okay. And did you enlist right out of high school, or
2: um, I actually um, didn't um, wanted to enlist when I was first out of high school, but um, at the time my father had to approve it because I'm I'm retired. I'm you know 30 years in the military, so I'm a more mature woman. <laughs> and I um, my father had to sign a release when you're 18 at that time as a female for me to join the military, and he wouldn't no daughter of his was joining the military. So I waited till I got my nursing and then I joined the the guard at first and then switched to the reserves. And okay.
0: Then, and you had, you always wanted to do the army? I or? think
2: I was, I was always driven to go to the military of, in some in capacity. Some capacity. Yeah. Um, I originally was looking at Air Force I wanted to be a fire jet pilot or I wanted to go to the Coast Guard for some reason because I like the water, I guess, and um, maybe become a medical doctor. And I ended up, you know, I ended up joining the Army and becoming a medical. All
0: right. And your father, was he in the military as well? He was a
2: Marine, um, and he went to the Korean War, a Bronze Star recipient. Yes, so he was in the military, but he was more drafted. He actually joined when he was younger back then and snuck in when he was 16.
0: Okay. (laughs) Did he ever get to say anything about all of your military career? Well,
2: I I believe... um, he was a little perplexed that I was an officer, and he teased me about the color of my uh, T-shirt. And those in the military, the Army and Marines, they they get that because <laughs> you know Army has one color, Marine has another, and so he would tease me about that. But I think, in all in all, he was proud of proud yeah. that I joined the service and served.
0: Yeah, and probably a little intimidated. Yeah, well, maybe.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how many deployments did you have?
2: I had three deployments. Um, a desert Storm, and then I went on a a trip or a, a deployment to which was considered a peacekeeping a deployment in the Sinai in Egypt, and then I went to Iraq for my last deployment. Okay,
0: and were you in medical in all three deployments? Yes, or? yes. Okay, yes. so you had told me a little bit of an interesting story that happened in Sinai, Egypt. If yeah and to
2: share. yes when I was in the Sinai in Egypt I was deployed with the infantry battalion so it was 450 men and I and that was before they started letting women into the infantry so I had to train and do everything that the infantry soldier did mm-hmm. to be able to um, participate in this deployment and we actually got bombed when we were there and um a lot of a lot of um civilians were injured in that and I was chosen with um, two other individuals to go because we were missing two soldiers that didn't report when we called the alarm. So we went to this hospital and um, we're trying to look for these two soldiers and there was a lot of injuries, um, hundreds of people that were injured and this hospital is kind of like a Greyhound station. They don't have the same kind of standards that we do in the U.S. and Egypt. And the way they were treating the women compared to the men were was pretty appalling so Mm -hmm. there was a young lady that I um, came across that wasn't doing so well that she was um, hit very severely Um, her mother and her cousin were standing next to her in this um, bomb blast and they didn't get injured at all which is typical of how they build the how they build um, these different kind of um, bombs and you know, IDs or wh- however you want to refer to them. And so I was trying to get her care and get her transported out of there up to Israel because that's where the trauma center was, which I wasn't having a lot of success with. She was finally transported, and unfortunately, she she did make it back home. She was from Great Britain. She made it back home, and she passed um, mm. when she got back home. But that was a pretty significant thing is just trying to sort out. Um, I was writing down how many... You know how many people were injured, and they took the paper away from me, the um, physicians in the hospital. So I wrote them on my arm so I could get the information to the high, you know, to the our command about how many injuries they had. So
0: okay, did you eventually find the two missing soldiers?
2: Yes, we did. We did. They were fortunately not injured. They were in another location, so we did find them. Wow. But I was the only female that went, and I had the weapon on me because they wouldn't search me. And the other two was our representative and a physician that went with me. So we kind of divide and conquered.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you found them. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: So did you suffer from PTSD, do you believe, as a result from your military service?
2: From what I know today, yes. Um, I kind of resisted to the fact that I had PTSD because I felt at my age and my background's trauma and critical care, that I had the life experiences to be able to deal with what I Um, chose to do in my life and that was take care of trauma and critical care um, injuries. Yeah. So I found out later that um, that's not truly the case that it can be cumulative Mm -hmm. and um, so I think that it's probably was a little you know probably got more significant it's a lot different for me caring for my soldiers and those that I'm serving with than it was hitting some you know coming across as a civilian. Um, I did do 911 things, was kind of, you know, helicopter transports too in my, in my life. And this is a much different experience because you know that um, you have to trust them with your life and they trust you with their life. Mm. So it's 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 a pretty, um, it's a lot more intense. Yeah, they're, they're family. Right, yeah. yes.
0: So do you feel then that, so you said it's cumulative, you said, right?
2: I, I believe, I found out it can be cumulative, yes, mm-hmm. by the amount of exposures you have.
0: Now, does the U.S. military check in with you guys after each deployment to just see where you're at mentally?
2: Not not really. Um, they've tried various things, like if you have like a blast um, and you have significant injuries... They've tried various things where they did like what they call debriefings after that, and they found out sometimes they did it immediately after, and they found out that may think things worse right. that they weren't really because I don't think you have time to process it. It's kind of surreal when you're in it. You have to like deal with the situation because we're talking about life and death, mm-hmm. and that means you may not survive, they may not survive, and you have to deal with that situation the here and now, and and then they tried doing it later, but I, you know, they really. Don't do the greatest job. And I don't think they found what is the greatest job Mm. to be able to care and Yeah, and you mentioned
0: to me, too, that they don't actually call it PTSD right away. It's called?
2: Yeah, it's called um, adjustment disorder. Okay. And that's because it's not enough time? Right. Right. It's not post. It's not so many months. By definition, it's three months. They say if you show some symptoms three months after your exposure, then that's considered PTSD. Huh.
0: All right. So when did you realize that you had PTSD?
2: And I think that's another thing that's interesting is I don't think because you're in it that I realized I had PTSD to be quite right. honest. It was my friends and okay. my family that my friends actually that said how I was becoming more um, disconnected, more isolated, and I wasn't the same person basically and I should get some help. Okay. And so um, that's I don't think I even I denied it and then. You know, it was the normal. caregivers said, you know, said, oh, no, you do have this and there's a reason why. And, right. and but I think it was my family and my friends that recognized it before I did.
0: OK. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break. But remember, this is a live show. So if you or a loved one are struggling with PTSD and you would like advice from Debbie, then feel free to call 1-888-298-KKNW or 425-373-5527 after this quick break.
1: At Madzen Medical Spa, our goal is a healthy, beautiful you. We're a full-service medical spa, but our focus is educating people on maintaining health and wellness. We're excited to announce a new addition to our menu, Nootropic Popular Beverage. This magical drink formulation alleviates unnecessary snacking while keeping you focused and alert throughout your day. It satisfies your hunger, renews your energy, enhances your mood, diminishes aches and pains. Essentially, it makes you happy. And who doesn't want to be happy? Patients have already been raving about Nootropic Popular Beverage. They've elevated their mood while losing inches in the process. It's safe, natural, fast, and effective. Drink happy, feel happy. Nootropic Popular Beverage. Happiness in a cup. Available at happytoelevate.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-T-O-E-L-E-V-A-T-E dot com. Or call 206-234-9188. Warning, you may feel happy.
3: Ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call two zero six seven three zero seven four two nine or go to SakuraSkinandmind.com.
4: Hey everyone, I'm Haley. And I'm Megan, and we host Sage Sisters
5: Podcast. We're
4: former sorority bitches who have turned into wellness witches. Behind us are the days of college parties, Seattle bar hopping, and random happy hours. Now we're seeking the secrets of true wellness and self-care.
5: Every Friday, we release new episodes chronicling our exploration of alternative energy healing modalities, spiritual wellness, and intuitive development. You can find us by searching Sage Sisters wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can download and subscribe to our episodes on iTunes and
4: Spotify. We've both found incredible healing through multiple forms of energy work and want to spread the love. So look up Sage Sisters podcast and join in on your own spiritual wellness
5: exploration. Download and subscribe to Sage Sisters podcast. And if you like, throw us a rating and review on iTunes. And don't forget, go sage yourself.
3: Peach Buzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin & Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin & Mind wants you to look your very best and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at Sakura sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had.
1: Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to tune in right here every Wednesday at 2 to 3 p.m. for more Love from the Hip. Today, I have the pleasure of having retired Army Colonel Nurse Practitioner and founder of Battlefield to Ballroom, Debbie Simpson, on my show. And remember, if you or a loved one are struggling with PTSD and you would like some advice from Debbie, feel free to call one 298 kknw or 425-373-5527. So I know, Debbie, before the break, you were sharing that you were feeling like the PTSD was accumulative of all the events and things that you had been exposed to in your service in the military. Was there one event that really just put you over the top?
2: I think that the start of it, the spark of it, was that young lady I had spoke about in Egypt and Sinai. And then when I went to Iraq, it was a more um, intense present danger because as we were with, I was there during the withdrawal. During the withdrawal, what happens is that you have less and you know less and less resources protecting you and the units that are left behind, they are handing over the keys basically to the State Department or to contracted services to continue the mission. And so we have less and less amount of people protecting us as far as weaponry and units and and like that. So every single moment of every day, um, when I woke up in the morning and I went to sleep at night, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through the day. Mm-hmm. And so also we didn't maybe have the intensity or the amount of injuries, but when we got them, they were they were they were pretty intense. I mean, I one particular man that I met that he was an Australian contractor that when I woke up in the morning, he, you know, he drove me into said we had to walk everywhere, Um, drove me into where we go and eat. And then I came back into the hospital and then we had an alarm that there was injuries coming in. On a pretty significant um, blast, an IED blast to a vehicle, um, three of the four v- occupants had been um, killed in the blast, and the one individual that um, I was put at the first table, so the most severely injured because of my experience, came to my table to be to be cared for, mm-hmm. and we had a team and we had a certain rhythm kind of that we did in order to care, you know, more uh, more efficiently. So when I got this particular individual on the table and started going through the process of, you know, securing the airway and doing all the things that you need to do, pretty significant hand injury, um, eye injury, and other blast-related injuries, um, I realized when he started yelling that he was the gentleman who drove me to breakfast that morning.
0: Oh, wow.
2: So I think that kind of sealed the deal with a pretty severe thing. And I knew he had two young boys. This happened on Father's Day. Um, And I don't know what happened. I know that we, um, and also trying to get transports for a civilian person was a lot more difficult because the rule, we call them the rules of engagement change. Mm -hmm. We were no longer allowed to use military assets in order to transport people that were either Locals like the Iraqis or the um, the, the, you know, contract. the contractors. Yeah. yeah. So prior to our mission, everybody could support them. So there was kids that would come that were burnt that we couldn't do anything about. They had to go to their local hospital. And so it was. It was pretty intense because I was, because of my rank and um, things, I was the one giving the bad news that this is not our mission anymore. Right. And it was like a light switch when, you know, 10 days before we hit the ground, they had those resources. And when we hit the ground, they were no longer available. So I got him out. Um, I don't know whatever happened to him, but it was, you know, it's just like, I think that, that. It was the worst time in Iraq as we were going through the withdrawal because people don't realize that you don't you have just yourselves that you're protecting to hurry up and get out. And you don't share when that's going to happen because you want to get out safely because they can basically overrun the base because there's more of them than you. You're on their home soil.
0: So just to clarify, that's when the U.S. troops were pulling out, Correct. Of Iraq, right? Okay, and so they're handing
2: it over to the State Department and contractors. So
0: contractors. So you were ended up. You ended up were also uh, shifting your patients over to contractors as yes. well. Yes. Yes. Okay.
2: And we were caring for contractors because that's who was there at that point. All besides right. our our own soldiers that were left behind.
0: Okay. And then you also had told me earlier about something. Kind of scary and also unnerving that was happening as well on the where your living quarters.
2: Yes, they during the living quarters because I carried a weapon. They couldn't house me with the contractor because they didn't carry a weapon, and um, there was very few people in this very large area. And during the time, um, I had someone that um, was basically went through a housing area that was connected to mine. It's kind of like a trailer kind of situation like they use for classrooms and things Mm -hmm. like that. And they split it in half. Yeah, like a portable trailer. They split it in half and they make them what we call our chew. So that's where we live at. And so I heard the um, lock on the other side get breached. And I knew there was nobody there. And then another lock. And then I had my weapon drawn because this person now had breached where the bathroom was between the two rooms into my area and came very close to shooting this individual because it was going to be them or I, Mm -hmm. and so fortunately, my training, um, I got trained by some people at that, uh, in Iraq, that taught me, like, wait, 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 you know, and I didn't end up having to shoot the individual, and he he took off, but that was, makes it even more real, and how I could react to that was kind of, like, so counterintuitive, you know, I'm a medical person, and now I'm, Shooting, I'm pointing a weapon that's loaded, that's ready to go at some another human being. But
0: to defend yourself, yes, right, yes. So what was happening at the time that you had to be worried about your living quarters?
2: Well, they were because of the withdrawal, and they were getting, they weren't bringing in people, and then there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people breaking into them and destroying them or stealing things, and it was basically the local Iraqis that were assigned to this you know, location that we're doing that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's scary. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the one event, you think, being in Iraq.
2: I think that that, the intensity of Iraq was much different than my previous missions, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, statistically, what is the amount of time after deployment where most people tend to experience problems? I mean, for you, was it right away? Did you notice it right away? No.
2: No, it was probably a good nine months to a year that my friend started saying that over, I think they had to see was, they were giving me a time space in order to see, okay, she just got back and she's trying, she's, you know, back home and she's not in a foreign country and, you know, adjusting to all that. So I think they gave me that ability to adjust too. So I think you don't know because it takes you a while just to adjust to be in the country. So, I mean, statistically, I'd say the literature says it's from three months to years. Mm -hmm. It can be years. And that's like you see in our Vietnam vets. Um, It can be years before all of a sudden. And I see a lot of time with my Vietnam vets that I um, care for is they lose a loved one like their spouse of, you know, many, many years. And all of a sudden, all these memories come flooding back that they've had under check for all those years. Yeah. So they say from three months to years, okay. it can be. So a trigger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Well, again, um, I hate to interrupt you. <laughs> We're going to have to take another break. But remember, if you would like some advice from Debbie on PTSD, feel free to call one eight 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 two nine eight 298 kknw or 425 373 5527 after this quick break on this weekly skinny i would like to talk about cholesterol deposits cholesterol deposits around the eye are known as xanthelasma they tend to develop in middle-aged people and are more common in women than men these fatty growths or lumps around the eye appear soft flat and yellow they tend to occur on the upper and lower eyelid near the inner corner of the eye and most often they will appear symmetrically around both eyes They can also maintain their size or grow slowly over time. Sometimes xanthalasma can have no cause, but sometimes it can be a symptom of a more serious underlying condition, like that of high cholesterol, kidney disease, hypothyroidism, liver disease, or diabetes. People who have cholesterol deposits or xanthalasma should consult a doctor and have their lipid levels checked. A high level of lipids in the blood is commonly associated with dyslipidemia, and xantholasma is a symptom. Although xantholasma are harmless and do not cause any discomfort or pain, they can be aesthetically displeasing. The good news is that these cholesterol deposits can be surgically removed, and the method depends on the size, location, and characteristics of the deposit. Some of these options include surgical excision, CO2 laser ablation, chemical cauterization, electrodesiccation, cryotherapy, and radio frequency. After the removal, there can potentially be bruising and swelling around the eyelids for quite a few weeks. The bad news is that even after removing them, cholesterol deposits can come back, especially in people with high cholesterol. If you think you might have xanthelasma, it would be wise to consult with your doctor to rule out any serious underlying condition first. If you are in the clear, your cholesterol deposits can be treated at Sakura Skin and Mind with the Thermalo device. Call 206-730-7429 or email me at sakura at com for an appointment.
6: Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin & Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin & Mind. Erasing wrinkles, one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakura skinandmind.com. S A K U R A skinandmind.com.
1: Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And feel free to email me at sakura at lovefromthehip.com with your comments, your criticisms, your questions, and well wishes. Let me know how I am doing. Today, I have the pleasure of having retired Army Colonel, nurse practitioner, and founder of Battlefield to Ballroom, Debbie Simpson, on my show. So, Debbie, I want to ask you then, what did you do after you figured out you had PTSD?
2: Well, after working with my uh, counselor, first of all, I um, returned to dancing, which was a passion of mine. She said, Um, What did I used to do, you know, that I loved and also to get me back into social and being around other people, noises and all those kind of things. So as I was doing my dancing, um, I found out that my anxiety that I manifested through my PTSD was more recognizable and more manageable. So as a nurse practitioner, I did a little um, detective work and tried to find out, well, why is this helping me? And um, found one article that talked about how dancing works on your um, your left and your right side of your brain. So then it retracts your anxiety response to, um, to a new track that you have um, more, I guess, visibility or awareness of um, And so you can manage your um, anxiety better okay. um, because you recognize it sooner.
0: Okay. And so it was helping you. Yes. And then did you end up, where did you go from there?
2: So then I wanted to to do a study. So then I found out I had to have a grant. So then I got the nonprofit because you had to have a nonprofit to do a grant. And so I developed Battlefield the Ballroom as another tool for those individuals that are suffering from PTSD to use. Beyond like just medications or counseling, Um, scuba diving is utilized in Um, scuba diving has the same kind of effect with the right and left side of their brain Um, i'm a scuba diver also but dancing is another way and they can adapt the dancing for whatever that individual's physical limitations are but it kind of helps them work out it also is going to reunite there's very few things out there for couples to do together Mm. and so it also can reunite the couples that are struggling Um, the man's in charge the the, you know, the female can be taken care of. As a female, I can learn how to be taken care of instead mm-hmm. of being the one in charge.
0: Okay. So how does the program work? Can you take us through that?
2: Yes. Anyone who has suffering from PTSD, um, combat-related, or um, traumatic brain injury, because it helps with memory and balance in traumatic brain injury, um, can contact their local um, Arthur Murray Dance Studio. I partnered with Arthur Murray for the stu- um for the reason that they teach and train to a syllabus and there's an outreach of throughout the world that um, they have, you know, studios wherever. So if there is a studio, an Arthur Murray studio near you, all you have to do is go there and say that I would like to participate in the Battlefield, the ballroom program. And then the program pays for um, you to have weekly lessons and. Um, And also participate in any other things that that studio will let you as far as group classes and things like that for a period of six months and, you know, funds depending. Mm -hmm. But that's all you have to do. The organization pays for your dance lessons.
0: Okay. So they don't actually have to get it set up through you. They can go to any Arthur Murray dance studio. Correct. Okay. So how long have you had Battlefield to Ballroom?
2: It's been a few years. It took a year to get Arthur Murray's approval and um, on board. And then it's been a couple of years with the nonprofit and everything else. So it's it's been about, you know, about three years and in, in also le- me learning how to do a nonprofit and yeah. going through that whole process of a small business.
0: Right. Learning curve. Yes, huge one. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that ballroom dancing helps you to work. It, how it works on PTSD is it allows the left brain and the right brain to work together, right? Correct. So is that also, does it also allow you to be in the present?
2: Yes, and that's what it does is it, it has you be in the moment. As you were speaking earlier about how dance shows that. So it, it, in order to be present, you can't think about all the other things or your hyper vigilance where you're being on guard and worrying about where's the doors, you know, how, where the people are, you know, all that kind of thing. You have to be in the moment. For, so that for that period of time you're dancing, all those things are pushed aside. Okay. You're feeling the touch of someone else. You're hearing the music. You're doing the pattern. So you ha- you're using all your resources for that.
0: Right. Okay. But at the same time, on the other side of it, right, is... It's also kind of um, engaging a soldier back into right in combat. You have to be fully present, correct? right? So they're already used to that and already accustomed to that, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things I tell my soldiers: if you can do, you know, they tell me, "Well, I can't," you know, "I can't," you know, I, my left feet. I don't, I don't know how to <laughs> dance." You know, and I said, "Well, you could do rushes. You learned how to fire a weapon. You knew how to do all that. And you can take what it, you have in your being as a soldier." And help use the tools available to you to help you know fight this battle of PTSD mm-hmm. and be able to contribute back to society, but also live a more normal life.
0: Yeah, and you would recommend it. I know that you you were saying that you have combat PTSD, but you're also saying that you're just using that label yes. because people can grasp it. So, right. what? How do you feel about the term PTSD in general?
2: Well, I feel that there's a some people don't want to call it disorder; they just want to call it PTSD. I I figure whatever's recognizable, uh, it's an issue. And I think combat PTSD. They don't. They haven't studied it to show there's a difference between that and maybe if you were, you know, was ha- witness to murder or an accident things like that, um, because you have a longer period of exposure, more intense exposures. On a, you know, f- people have multiple deployments, two, three, four deployments, and seeing a lot of really bad stuff. So I think it's a little bit more intense. Yeah. Um, And
0: and your program is not only designed just for veterans, right?
2: Right. Um, I'm trying to expand it into first responders because I think they they also suffer the similar thing because of what they've seen and how you have to save face and you know do what you need to do. And um, um, they over their time in doing what they choose to do, that they also have issues. Okay.
0: And do you have a success story already? With battlefield. To I, I have, to have share? a few
2: um, that I know some pretty severe where this one gen- was one young man had children, couldn't even get out of the house, participated in, very rarely could get out of the house, um, got out of the house to be able to participate this, um, rebuilt the connection with his wife. And because of the program, he could go to his kids' games and participate in things, and be, you know, and and didn't do the total amount because of how much he healed and could get back out in society again. And can't you know, thanks me, you know, profusely for that opportunity.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. Yes. So, do you believe that ballroom dancing has fully healed you?
2: I think it's one of the. I think it is one of the tools that. Helps me to do this nonprofit, to go to work and be a contributing person every single day. I don't know that I could do what I do for a living, or have this nonprofit if it wasn't for the ballroom dancing piece. Yeah, I, I really, I really don't think I would. I would still be in my house, just going to work, coming home, and I wouldn't be getting out and learning how to to enjoy life again.
0: Well, that's wonderful. So. I wanted to ask then because you are also working in the, a clinic still, right? Yes. In the medical field. Yes. So you're still around the trauma. Yes. And now you're also around the PTSD. Yes.
2: Correct? And and I I mean I, I think sharing my story with my veterans helps them see that I get what they're what they're battling. Um, it's also a trigger. That's where the ballroom dancing has helped me. I think it ex- it kind of expedites my recovery.
0: Okay. And where do you want to see battlefield to ballroom go from here?
2: I would like it to continue to grow and also be more expansive to like first responders. And it's, it's kind of just touching that that area. But I would like it to and I'd also like the research to to be complete so that I can have, you know, data for all those um, scientific people that yeah. have to have proof to show <laughs> that, it you know, if you do. And I just want, you know, everyone that is suffering from this or they know a loved one, no matter where they are in, you know, this area or in anywhere in the United States um that this is available so I'd like it to continue to grow because you know so far I've had enough that maybe I've saved one day's worth of suicide of people you know that commit suicide and a lot of it's due to PTSD and I guess and just so people realize that they are good enough because part of the PTSD is you don't feel like you're ever good enough when you come back and I think that we need to know we're all good enough or we weren't put on this planet otherwise
0: yeah that's wonderful Yeah. Thank you for that work. (laughs) So I want to ask you, knowing what you know now and having been in the military for 30 years, would you do it all over again?
2: I've pondered this question (laughs) and um, yes, I would. Um, I cannot speak to the people I've um, connected to and that deep um, of a connection that you have with another human being when your life depends on them. And um, the things that I could do for that other human being also in their time of need. <clears throat> I don't think I could have gotten that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then also to serve the country that I love because it's a, a marvelous country for women.
0: Yeah. Wow. And to be where you're at <clears throat> and sharing the gift that you have. That's yes. Wonderful. Yes. So are there any upcoming fundraisers or events for Battlefields <clears throat> Ballroom that you'd like to share?
2: Well, hopefully in November um, we'll have one because that's month for Veterans Day so hopefully we'll have one it's it's like in the works um, I know Arthur Murray dance Studios they have really helped out through um, Colorado and uh, recently the Boston area um, Rochester New York area did huge fundraisers for the organization um, danceathons and things like that so that's how another way they not only their time and teaching but they also contribute by sponsoring fundraisers for the organization.
0: That's wonderful that you have that support. Yes,
2: <laughs> it's 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 amazing.
0: So, I want to touch briefly on because I you don't find a lot of women who are attacking PTSD. It's it's mostly men because you hear only about
2: right. The men.
0: And so, I mean, have you come to meet more and more women thanking you and expressing their gratitude and
2: Yes, I have women and men. Kind of, you know, women still go to self-medication as far as you know the symptoms of being hyper vigilant, where you're on guard all the time and things like that, and they do drinking and things like that. But um, actually, women are twice as likely to have PTSD over men, which people don't realize. But I think that women, because we we don't aren't such linear thinkers, that you don't hear about women and their suffering with PTSD, and a lot of women, they also have uh, military sexual trauma attached to it. Yeah. 75% of the women have that, so they kind of can, people can say, oh, with that, you know, you know, with that, but I've had some women in there that's actually helping calm their anxiety, they've oh. reported.
0: Okay, and what are some things then that you find people exhibit when they have PTSD?
2: Well, I think if you take a moment in time where you like got startled or scared, and you times that by three, it's kind of like you have that button on all the time. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into a room, you're looking at the crowds, the exits, you know what the potential dangers are. Um, when you're driving on roads, the the men that men and women have been drivers, that's what they're looking at potential places where IED blasts can go off. Um, so, and then you have nightmares may come later of the events, um, smells a big one. Um, mm-hmm. certain smells like get imprinted, you know, kind of imprinted on your brain more than anything. So I know there's smells that that's the first thing that I think comes to your mind when you have a certain smell that will bring back a memory. Um, so I think it's just the hypervigilant, the lack of sleep, it can manifest, you know, without any kind of intervention, you know, you go on to, you know, having issues with chronic pain and, uh, mm. you know, a lot of other, you know, dysfunctional, you can't keep a job, can't keep a relationship because you're so much, you know, dealing with your, right. you know, your issues.
0: So for people that are maybe dealing with more extreme, like having thoughts of suicide as a veteran, is there a crisis line?
2: Yes. The uh, um, the veteran's um, crisis line number is 1-800-273-8255. And there's, you know, the number again is 1-800-273-8255. And the VA is trying to do um, better work at getting veterans connected and get them help that they need.
0: That's wonderful. Oh, and before we go, I want to have you go ahead and share again how people can contact you or learn more about your your nonprofit.
2: Yes, it's um, the nonprofit's on Battlefield the Ballroom. And they can con- um get a hold of me via email which is um battlefield the number two ballroom at gmail dot com or the phone number is area code two five three two three four nine four three
0: three. Well wonderful. Well thanks again for being here today Debbie.
2: And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah and thanks for sharing your story and thanks for your service. And everyone, we're going to go to a quick break. But before we do, remember to stick around. I have an exclusive interview with our sponsor, the Sage Sisters podcast, and you won't want to miss it. Hey, everyone. I'm Haley. And I'm Megan. And we host
4: Sage
5: Sisters podcast.
4: We're former sorority bitches who have turned into wellness witches. Behind us are the days of college parties, Seattle bar hopping and random happy hours.
5: Now we're seeking the secrets of true wellness and self-care. Every Friday, we release new episodes chronicling our exploration of alternative energy healing modalities, spiritual wellness, and intuitive development. You can find us by searching Sage Sisters wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can download and subscribe to our episodes on iTunes and Spotify. We've both
4: found incredible healing through multiple forms of energy work and want to spread the love. So look up Sage Sisters podcast and join in on your own spiritual wellness exploration. Download
5: and subscribe to Sage Sisters Podcast. And if you like, throw us a rating and review on iTunes. And don't forget, go Sage yourself.
6: Pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. Want a
3: more youthful figure no matter what age? Find answers at Madsen Medical Spa. Allow doctors Aaron and Paul to help you eliminate your frustration with weight management. Say no-no to yo-yo diets and exhausting exercise grinds. Madsen Medical Spa will do the heavy lifting for you and coach you all the way through to your ideal weight. We offer the latest and greatest in body sculpting and body contouring lasers and devices, high quality nutritional supplements and meal replacements, as well as mindful practices. We will treat the inside to treat the outside, and it's all personal tailored for you. Men and women, drop inches, not just pounds, and see a healthy, beautiful you. Consultations are free, results are priceless. Log on to MadsenMedSpa.com. That's M A D S E N MedSpa.com. Or call 425 656 8008. That's 425 656 8008. Get the shape you want this summer. Become a
0: healthier, more beautiful you.
1: Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk, eleven fifty.
0: Today, I have the pleasure of having Megan and Haley from the Sage Sisters podcast. Thank you both for being here today. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Yeah. So, what prompted you to start a podcast? You know, we've both been on these
5: journeys of healing and self-discovery, and we had started to experience all these different kind of what you'd call alternative methods of energy work and different healing modalities. And we felt like it wasn't being talked about that much from a perspective of like two sorority girls who were no longer out in bars on the weekends, (laughs) um, at least in the circles that we run in. And we really wanted to kind of bring that perspective, like I said, and from where we'd been out. And then we'd kind of hit this wall where that wasn't serving us anymore. And instead of... Spending our nights like bar hopping, we were then going to sound baths and Reiki
0: circles. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot more healing and therapeutic, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> so what is your podcast about? So, right where we find ourselves
4: is we're really on this exploration of wellness and self-care and what that actually means. For sure. So, what does that look like for everyone? Um, we've come to find through interviewing, you know, our amazing guests and even just like friends and family talking about self-care that it really ranges from you know epsom salt baths or a good pedicure and it can even go like really deep into like a really deep meditation where you're really digging into like the shadow work you know where all of like the hard stuff is to find really intense healing um so it's all just kind of varies like what Mm -hmm. self-care looks like for everyone um and we also we just know so many practitioners um in the pacific northwest that are doing awesome work in the energy medicine you know arena and we really wanted to give them a platform to
0: kind of share their beautiful gifts with everyone. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I have to ask you then, what was self-care? What did that mean to you prior to um, starting this podcast?
5: I mean, for me, I think it definitely was like getting a pedicure and watching a lot of reality TV.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, same. It was like going getting like a massage or yeah. taking just like a bath or Yeah, watching like my favorite like chick flick movie,
5: (laughs) but instead of just like really looking at that hard stuff, like what is it about myself that I don't like anymore that I need to look at and address? Yeah, has kind of been a new form of self care. Yeah,
4: and like why was that not? Why was that kind of self care not feeling as good anymore? You Mm -hmm. know, it was Mm -hmm. like it started to just not
0: cut it. So essentially, you both have actually dove deeper into being yourselves. Yes, and finding out who that is. Absolutely, very much. that's, That's incredible. Thank you. So when is your podcast
4: on? Uh, we launch a new episode every Friday, um, publish it, you know, midnight-ish, depending on mm-hmm. how the editing editing goes, but
5: um, every Friday.
0: Okay. And where can my listeners find your podcast?
5: You can really find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on iTunes, Spotify, yeah. um, any of the podcasting apps, or you can actually listen to us directly from our website, com. Okay. We're really excited about that.
0: Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> terrific. And how do you find people for your podcast?
5: All different ways. Sometimes it's someone we already know or someone that we're introduced to from a practitioner or a previous guest that we've had on. We attend a lot of events and classes and offerings around the area. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's actually just stalking people on Instagram.
0: Yeah.
4: (laughs) And sometimes those stockings are then they open up even more people from that. You know. Yeah, so
0: the stockings are well worth it. Very well worth it. (laughs) So what do you hope to accomplish with your podcast as far as with your listeners?
4: We really want to be an accessible and reliable resource for anyone who wants to dive in and experience different alternative healing opportunities and go on their own kind of exploration of self-care. Uh, We want to be of service, really. We want to hold this space for people who are seeking to grow and evolve and who want to be the best version of themselves, Um, because we know being the best version of yourself is really hard work, and it takes a lot of different modalities to help get you there. And we understand it's not just like we said, you know, a bubble bath or a glass of wine or, you know, reality TV. Um, so we want to be there to continue to be raw and authentic and speak our truth in hopes that whoever is listening, that it helps them on their
5: journey. Yeah. And I think sometimes people don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. We were intimidated by certain things like we'd never been to a sound bath before yeah. or what is a Reiki circle right. or any of that. And so we're hoping that through our podcast, it makes it more accessible and a place for people yeah. to start. Yeah. Less scary for sure. So
0: you actually help your listeners to navigate Yeah. That's our hope. That's our hope, yeah. (laughs) So where do you both wish to grow from here? You know, I think we both just really want to continue to grow and
5: evolve as humans. And like we said, we are learning along with the listeners in a lot of the episodes that we put out. Um, It's fun for us because it's modalities or a practice that we'd never heard of. And so we get to have this awesome conversation and connection with someone who can teach us. Mm -hmm. Um, along with our listeners. So that's exciting. We also want to continue to just like grow our own healing practices and our intuition, and then also just continue to support and grow the healing arts community because we've already
0: gotten so much out of it that we want to continue to support that. Yeah, that's really important for us go forward for sure. Okay. Okay. And you kind of answered my next question, but are you guys having fun? Oh, Oh my God. Absolutely. It's
4: like (laughs) such it's just like our passion. We just can't get enough of it every day. It
0: has filled both of us up, I think, more than
4: we thought was going to be possible when we started. Yeah, I think that's spot on.
0: Well, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voices. That's wonderful. Thank you. So where can my listeners find your podcast again? Um, iTunes, Spotify,
4: Spotify, on our website, SageSistersPodcast.com and any other podcasting apps. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks again for being here today. And again, this is Megan and Haley from the Sage Sisters podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening in today and thank the amazing women I've had on my show, Debbie Simpsons and the Sage Sisters podcast. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer. And don't forget, you can find me at lovefromthehip.com or sakuraskinandmind.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or on Facebook and subscribe to my YouTube channel, as well as my podcast on Podcast One, Love From The Hip, and that's H-Y-P. And tune in for another Love from the Hip next Tuesday at 2 p.m. and make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya.